Hello, and welcome to Center Stage, a podcast for those interested in how the mind of an artist works. We sit down with actors, directors, writers, and artists of all kinds to figure out just what gets their creative juices flowing. I'm your host and producer, Sergio Derespreya. On today's episode, we're joined by actor Zach Gowdy. Zach and I met as theater students at the University of Florida and have maintained a friendship ever since. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. is my good friend, my old friend, Zach Gowdy. Zach, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here. I'm, I'm glad for you to be on here in the inaugural episode of Center Stage. Um, the podcast is about talking to artists and getting their experiences as actors, writers, directors, producers, designers, and just to give an insight into an artistic world that we don't really get to see the inner workings of. We see the end product on Netflix or on Hulu or on in movies, but we don't really see where people go f- through in order to get to the process. So I, sh- I want to start off, Zach, with what I'm going to start every single interview. What does being an artist mean to you? Oh, good one. Oh. All right, um, that's it. Wrap it up. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But what does an artist mean to me? Providing your perspective on the world unashamed and unabashed. I think like just straight up telling people what's going on, either showing or telling. I think it's all about perspective. It's got a lot to do with experiences um, and sharing those experiences and those perspectives with people. I think some of the the best artists are the ones that kind of didn't run away from, you know, things like their trauma, didn't run away from the politics of the time and just telling it how it is. So I, I would say that is what comes off the top of my head. Do you do you feel like you have an obligation as an artist to to tell important and, and tough stories, whether they be your own or other people's, you know? Yeah, I think you should. I think I think that's the whole point because your your sole purpose is to provide a perspective or or you know outline the many different sides of a story, and so the best way for you to do that is to seek out these stories and to really understand the characters or the people that you're playing or um, their feelings and portraying that in a realistic way. I'm only talking like for acting, but I mean even poetry or anything like that it's still either your personal feelings or a situation that you've you've witnessed or you've heard about and presenting the truth of that as best as you can um but i do think you have there was an obligation to do that do you feel like when you share a personal story something that comes from within that unlocked section of creativity that i believe that humans have do you feel like when you share some of those tougher stories that are a bit personal to you, do you feel like it's therapeutic or do you feel like you're doing a service to the audience that's consuming your art? I see it. I think it's both. Okay. I think it can be both. How so? I think it can be therapeutic because you get to you get to wrangle with the ideas that maybe you've been thinking about and sometimes even playing out 
the situations you thought in your head. I mean, sometimes, you know, something will happen and I think, oh, maybe I should have done this and that would have better expressed my feelings or, you know, I would have explained myself better if I did this, you know? And then when you're kind of on stage, you could try those things out. That's kind of a place to to see how that would work realistically. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's really about the truth of the situation. You've got to tell your truth. And I would say specifically for the stage, the stage is no place for you to express your trauma. Uh, it, it's it's a place for where maybe you and your scene partner can kind of play with ideas, but it's not a place where you will just unleash, you know, your own neuroses on an audience, you know. At the end of the day, it's about understanding the character and getting into how the character's feeling and presenting the truth of the situation as best as you possibly can. You mentioned that the stage is not somewhere where an actor as their own person can just kind of project their traumas onto an audience. It's more so channeling those situations through your character. How do you feel about actors that can't differentiate between their character and their real life for like just you know big example someone like jared leto right i know you are very into um dc and marvel and comics and and we maybe we'll talk about that at the end of the of the, of the interview but um you know he has on record said that he's a method quote-unquote method actor you know someone who inhabits their character throughout their entire life while they're performing that role what's your opinion on that and well, what's your opinion on that? Let's go with that first. At the end of the day, I'm, I am on the camp of, hey, whatever gets you to the point where you get the job done, that you're living truthfully, um, being truthful to the character, you know, whatever it's, it is that gets you to that point, then great. Um, I think method gets a bad rap because of the onset outburst from some of these actors who uh are living as these characters and most most of the time these characters are violent enraged individuals and so you end up having these sort of big disputes um but even method is hey use the things that are around you that are personal to you to get you to that point where you're living truthfully you're not thinking about what you're doing you're just here in the moment so anyone who can't separate it I understand, but I also think those individuals should seek therapy afterwards just so they have that moment of catharsis because I can't, I don't believe you can carry that throughout the rest of your life. Like you have to let that go. You have to find a way to kind of drain that out of you. So I, that even Lee Strasberg is like, yeah, you, if you are living as the character, great, but seek help afterwards because it's a lot. You're carrying a lot on your shoulders and especially if it's stuff that you haven't worked through but is now starting to trigger things in your own personal life that's doing the character disservice because now you're using this as your therapy session when really you need to seek the help that you need to get through this trauma and then utilizing it can be great because it's it's uh, it, it's realistic. It, you see your natural reaction to these things but yeah you need to have that balance i mean at the end of the day it's a job i mean like you have to have an off switch i don't think you can continue running as 
a character for the rest of your life. But again, it's that knowledge of knowing when to turn it on and when to turn it off so that let's say you are a stage actor and they ask you to come back to do another limited run, you can snap back into that character because you know how to get there. Have you ever had a character that you just you just kind of can't shake? I mean, as someone who, you know, as an actor as well, I have two or three that come immediately to mind. But for you, is there a character that you just to this day there's aspects of that character that you just in uh, uh you just kind of incidentally carried into your everyday life uh yeah and it's one you know and oh. you were there with yeah yeah okay. uh, which one miss raj oh the famous miss raj <laughs> Still beautiful performance day. at the university <laughs> of florida to give us give us an insight give us an insight to who miss raj was so miss raj was a um drag queen from the 80s we're talking kind of disco era um who had been through a lot of trauma in her life leading up to this point and now got to a point where she just didn't care she was going to tell you the truth regardless there was no filters um didn't care about how other people felt about her uh completely confident in herself but very very funny, witty, but abrasive. It was a weird, complicated character. There's a lot of things that were happening at the same time. But that was my first opportunity kind of understanding more about drag culture and um, the plight of the gay black man, even now. But I mean, especially during the 70s and 80s when, I mean, it was rough. So... Even to this day, elements of it kind of come back where I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, that's where that comes from. Or I will connect with something and I'll hear her voice in the back of my head sort of telling me to to not care about people's opinions or whatever. It, it, it happens like that. There are uh, bits that happen. And I think especially last summer, with everything that was going on in the world, her words meant more to me that summer than they've ever done before. And even ironically, the monologues, some of the material was used as as fodder on, on Twitter. Like I saw Miss Raj quotes on Twitter and that blew my mind. So, I mean, even to this day, elements of her still come back to me. Um, and, you know, I really need to visit the Smithsonian to see the uh, exhibit on um, the Colored Museum. But uh, yeah, that's that's one that's striking for me. You you mentioned how Miss Raj was a gay drag queen, black drag queen throughout the 70s. While, while I know you are not gay, you are a black man in the United States and you are a black actor. And that is the more quality... Um, the more words I put in front of actor, the smaller the pool gets into the amount of people. Um, and as people can guess through these first 11 and a half minutes, you have an accent. You you originate from Great Britain. Uh, talk a little bit about your move from the United Kingdom over to the United States and when you kind of realized that you wanted to be an actor. And then we'll get into the black actor that I feel like that's a much longer conversation that we can get into in a few minutes. Yeah, um, when I wanted to be an actor. Um, 
And, well, what brought you over from the United from the United Kingdom? What brought me over from the United States? Uh, so that was that was my parents. Um, right. I didn't really have <laughs> much say in that. So I I ended up over here age seventeen, and had to repeat high school because I didn't have American credits to go forward and do college. I was ready to go to college at the point I got here, but I had to stay behind. And in that time, I fell in love with high school theater, uh, all the crazy bits, the comp- competitions, state festivals, like the whole the whole nine. It's a so, whole other world. <laughs> it's, it's a whole a complete other, other world. world. That's a whole different conversation. But uh, after that, I was like, I was thinking about what I was going to do with my life. And I realized that acting was the only thing I was good at, that I knew I was good at. And even, actually, I'll tell you this story. So this was the final day of school and we're bringing our books back um, that we had for the semester. It was the last day. So I'm bringing my books back and I get up to the table and I give my books over and two teachers are there and they were like, Hey, Zach, so what what are you going to do when you go to college? What are you going to do? And I was like, I think I'm going to study theater. And they were like, oh, oh, yes, please. You're so good. Congrats. I'm glad. I'm glad you chose to do that. And the reaction was was incredible first off. But I think it was that first moment of, oh, people actually think I'm good enough to do this. So maybe I should invest in myself and, and pursue this. So that's kind of where my role as an actor kind of came from. I, I've i had two moments in my life where I was like, you know, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Um, one was in high school and the other one was in college. Um, but I had been acting since I was maybe eight, six or eight, I would say, maybe six. Um, it's always been something I've, I've been doing, but it wasn't until other people kind of started you know giving me a nudge and saying yeah you're you're good you should continue doing this or you should really push yourself so i was like well i'm not good at math so i might as well <laughs> i might as well do acting because uh it's the only thing that i knew i was good at so where'd you go after high school to pursue that now that you know that's what you want to do yeah where'd you go so after high school i went to palm beach state college and i got my aa degree and I worked with a fantastic director, Dave Highland, who showed me all the ropes, showed me even that acting, making it as an actor isn't about being famous. It's about working. It's about consistently working. And even if you're not consistently working, you are doing something. So he taught me that being famous isn't the role of the actor. The actor's job is to be consistently working. So consistently doing projects. He got to a point where, and I admired him so much, but he got to a point where he was teaching as a professor and theaters would call him and say, hey, we have a role. We think it'd be great for you. Would you come in and read? I mean, that to me blew my mind. It was like, so you don't really have to audition? You kind of have it? He's like, yeah, I kind of have it. I can choose if I want it, but I'm going to go. I'm going to do it because it's the work. I have to, I have to audition. I have to keep that that tool shop. So part of me was like, oh, so you can be consistently working and still have a different job and and making, you know, ends meet and being financially secure while still pursuing, you know, your life's goal of of being an actor. And so it it became less complicated for me. Um so after he kind of gave me all of his knowledge, he showed me everything. 
and I did various different productions with him. I then graduated and I went to the University of Florida where I met you. And uh, we did uh, a bunch of shows and I worked with different faculty members, but I chose to do the general theater route because I wanted to know about everything. I didn't want to just pigeonhole myself with acting, but I did want acting to be a concentration of mine. So yeah, that's where I was educated. And <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that we, that's where we met, full disclosure. Um, yeah. But where did you, in your general theater track, right? Because there were two different degrees at our university, a Bachelor of Arts, which was general theater, and then there was a Bachelor of Fine Arts, which you could specify into acting or musical theater. We always, you and I had the joke that you were a BA, but more involved than some of the BFAs. I was a BA with BFA tendencies. I, yes. <laughs> I, had, I had access <laughs> to the BFA, <laughs> but I did always use it. And to the point where faculty members were shocked when you would tell them, no, I'm just a BA. They're like, wait, what? You're not in the, in the acting concentration? Yep. And you're like, no, I yep. didn't do that. How did that feel? How did that feel from getting that from not only us, your classmates and your friends, but also professors that, wow, this guy's so involved that we actually believed that he was in the quote unquote advanced track within <laughs> the school of theater when he actually was not. How did that feel? Oh, man. It was validating, but also very funny. I found it hilarious. On two separate occasions, I was told that I should audition for the BFA. And I definitely gave it serious consideration. But the only reason I didn't do it was because I would have to stay an extra term or two because I didn't have all the credits. And that was the only reason I didn't do it. I was like, I don't want to stay. I want to graduate and go. That's just <laughs> where I'm at in my life right now. So... You were like, hey, I did that in high school. I'm not doing yeah, that for this. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really it was really interesting and validating because I was so new as well. Like I was only at UF for maybe two years. And in that time, I think I made a big dent. Like I made an impact there. So I it was weird as well because everyone thought I was bfa and and when i wasn't there was a sense of so what are you doing like why are you still being a ba when you could be a bfa you know um but i, I liked the challenge i think that was what i was into I, I i liked going head to head with bfas for roles and i knew half the time i wasn't gonna get it but i was like this is what the real world looks like it's people with various degrees of training all going for the same roles. And, you know, I, I, I need that hustle. I need that energy to know that this person went to, I don't know, Carnegie Mellon and is in the same room as me. And we're just going toe to toe and try and get this, this role. So now it was fun. So not only were you a, an over, I'm going to call it an overqualified BA, uh, <laughs> fair, 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 yeah. So fair not only were you a overqualified BA, but I I can tell you now I can count on my hands the amount of black actors that were in the school of theater and dance. Um, and mind you, the school of theater and dance has over 150 uh, students in it across all degrees and disciplines, both behind the state, behind the screen, 
stage camera in front of it. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you had sort of an added pressure because you were, because there were a select few uh, black actors, did you feel like you had to live up to a certain standard in order for other black actors in the future? Yes, but that wasn't the the direct thing that hit me. The direct thing that hit me was was just how disappointing and frustrating it was because I would have to wait my turn a lot. I would have to wait for people who had roles that I could fit in. And I think that was where I I found the most um, adversity, I guess. Um, But I do remember with the success that I had as as a black actor at school that I tended to take a lot of other black actors under my wing and kind of explain the situation and and be there for them because I knew that we were all playing the same game. So, yes, I was very much like the mother bird and I was corralling people and I was was galvanizing others to be like, hey, go for the role. Like, you may not get it, but at the end of the day, it's practice. You know, that's what we're here for. We're here to practice. So um, there was a lot of that, but there was also a lot of, oh, I know this play requires four white people and there's only one male role and I'm not going to get it because I, I've read the play. I know I know what it is, but I think, again, it's my job to go through this or it is going to be my job. Let me go audition anyway and get the sharpen the tools and, and get over the 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 fear of auditioning by doing it. So it was a very weird place to be in where you didn't gain the um the advantages that other people got but I think that only helped because it meant that when I did finally graduate and move into the real world I understood what rejection felt like in a way I always knew if there was an ability, there was a, an ability to get a role or the, I'll say the race of the role was completely in question. Nobody knew. I was like, okay, this is a chance for me rather than other roles knowing, okay, I know this person kind of tends to lean towards these individuals. Maybe I know I'm not going to get it, but I'm going to go in for the sheer practice of it. Did you feel supported as a black actor in undergrad? Yes, but even then it was it was by a single individual. And that's that was great because this individual had a wealth of insight about the school, about the situation, about my place in the world when I do go off. Incredibly helpful. Um, but this individual was consistently busy, so I never always got the opportunity to to spend time to talk. And even when I did, I didn't really have a lot of time. Are you comfortable sharing who the individual is? I don't. I don't mind sharing who the individual is. I don't know if if I can, but I I, I don't mind. I was. I would just say it was Doctor Pickney at the school. Um, was my mentor. Doctor, and, and just for disclosure, Doctor Mikkel Pinkney. 
yeah. is uh, he's actually the youngest African-American director on in Broadway history. Um, we were lucky enough to have him at as our he was my acting two and three teacher. Um, I learned a wealth of knowledge from him, but I can only imagine what you as a black actor would learn from the only black acting faculty on staff at the University of Florida. Yeah. Sorry to cut yeah. you off. I just wanted to give a... No, thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad you put it out there because he deserves, you know, all of his flowers and tons of respect. Um, but yeah, it was it was consistent conversations with him that he kind of pointed me in different directions and, and challenged me in various different ways. But I'm sad I didn't have that connection with other people in the faculty. And again, my... This is where the, the, the BA with BFA tendencies comes in because I had access to the individuals who had the knowledge that other BFAs got. However, because I was a BFA, they didn't really feel like it was worth imparting that to me because they have a whole wealth of other students who need that, you know? And so I didn't... I didn't end up having classes with some teachers because of my BA. However, I had conversations with the same teachers. And so I got little nuggets here and there, but not enough to really know the full expanse of things. There are professors that I I would have loved to have been in class with because I know I would have learned something really great that would have really helped and added to my repertoire, but didn't have the opportunity. But through things like stage management, with Jenny Goals, I was able to talk to some of these teachers as I was their stage manager and learn different things that they would tell me. And they were like, oh, I'm looking for this, or this is how I like to do things. And so that was enough for me in that respect. Or if I wasn't in a role with a professor that I didn't have a class with, for instance, in those roles, I saw the things that BFAs were seeing. I, I got the lessons that BFAs got. Um, for instance, uh, we did King Lear and I got to work with Yancey, so I got a little bit of voice training. Um, in The Seagull, I got to work with Tim, so I got a little bit of acting training and 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 work there. Um, with Pinkney, we had a guest artist came through and showed us viewpoints, so I learned a little bit something new there. So that was cool, but it was it was sad because I only learned something new when I had a show <laughs> and I didn't always have a show. I would say, I'm, I mean, I'm very fortunate, very, very blessed to have as many shows as I did get, but it wasn't until I got a show that I learned something. I was like, Oh, that's how this works. Oh, okay. So it was really sad. I didn't get to have that opportunity to really, I don't know, shadow some of those classes and see what was being taught and learn those things. And and look, as as your friend, I remember seeing you constantly involved in shows one way or another. And one thing I respected about you was because of your BA status, you weren't guaranteed to be in the shows each semester. I was a BFA. It was kind of an under the table agreement where BFAs were cast. But one thing that I really respected about you was, okay, maybe I'm not going to be cast in this certain show. But what I can do is still be involved in that show. And I distinctly remember seeing you coming into the first day of rehearsal for a couple of shows and seeing you behind the stage manager desk, whether as the assistant stage manager or the actual stage manager, 
and going, oh, my man Zach is back there. I'm so glad that I get to have another experience with Zach because I knew that you were going to do everything possible, whether it's on the stage where you feel you're most comfortable or behind the table in the role of a stage manager. Can you talk a little bit about how being either an assistant stage manager or a stage manager helps you in your career as an actor? That may not be something that you pursue full time, but it definitely had an impact on your performances because I see I saw your performances before you did stage management and I saw your performances after and I could see a clear difference. Talk a little bit about how stage management, talk about what it is and how it kind of adds on to that repertoire, that little toolbox that we actors have in order to perform. Yeah. So stage a stage manager is basically the conductor of the show. Um he they are the behind the scenes in individual that really sets the tempo for the entire production and is there to assist the director to ensure that the cast is okay to check in with lighting and costume and um, set design each week and ensure that the production moves from its initial genesis to the opening night and continues with the show, calling the show, so calling all the cues, the light cues, the sound cues, um, telling actors when to come on and when to come off, um, all the way to the end of the show. Um, So in that role, you get to see the show develop. You get to be there from just, hey, this is what I want to do, this is the show I want to do, to here's the cast, to opening night to end of the run and you're there through all of it you're you you've been doing meetings beforehand and you're going all the way through until the end of the show so in that role was one incredibly tiring but just a different beast in itself it's very challenging but i loved it i loved the challenge of it what it did was it showed me habits actors habits it showed me Things like the relationship between the actor and the director and what a good relationship looks like. Even sitting that far back, you get to watch other actors go through their process in the room. And I think that's even interesting because you get to pick out, as an actor, you get to pick out the things that you think might work for you and then try them when you get the opportunity to. I know that um, some actors like a yoga warm-up before they get into rehearsal. Some had to spend 10 minutes by themselves to meditate and, and get their head right into the space. Some actors don't need it. They just walk into the room and it's like, let's just go. Let's do what we have to do, you know? And so in that place, you get to see things. You get to see how different voices work. You get to understand that, hey, if I'm in the room and I'm not projecting, I'm not going to project when I'm out on stage. That's just not going to happen because I'm used to sounding how I sound in the room. Um, Things like getting comfortable with the set, with how to move, with, um, I know where we taped out rooms, we taped out the floor with the set. So you had an idea of where you were gonna be. And even then that's only a scale because when you get onto the actual stage, sometimes the scale's off. It's not 100%. We have a tiny rehearsal room, so we don't really get the full expense of it. But I, I got to see like, hey, these things are important. If if I'm supposed to have a sword in the show, can I get a stick for the first week or two and get used to what that feels like in my in my in my side, in my sheath or whatever, so that when I do go on stage or when 
the sword is introduced, it's not foreign to me. And so it was piecing those things together, understanding how the rehearsal room works, that I was able to move forward. I would say another thing was the step up from where I was in community college to where UF was in terms of their productions. Through stage management, I got to see, oh, that's where the step up is. And and realize what is it that makes some of these BFA actors tick? What is the thing that directors saw in them that made them want to invest their time and energy into these people? And so it was just picking things like that up and, and realizing that, oh, that's awkward. Or, oh, that's great. And so it's being that fly on the wall sort of perspective. So I picked up a lot of things from stage management. But I think another thing stage management taught me was the work ethic because stage management doesn't stop. <laughs> I was at school till maybe 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. Most of the time, I locked up the, the school. Most of the time, I was the one who locked up the school before I went home. And then I was back again at, what, 8.30 for a class, you know? So it doesn't stop. I learned what hustle was. I learned what work ethic was. I learned what professional professionalism was through stage management because I had to be that every day. Like I couldn't, I could not be professional. I, I didn't have the opportunity to have a tirade. And so I was like, oh, okay, I got this now. I see, I see what that is. So I do think it's that. And I think which is just watching it. And as you said, like, as I was in a variety of different shows, whether I was behind the table, I was producing, I was, you know, I was somewhere in there. I was like, okay, this is how it works. It was just a full education. What about after college? Um, I know Ooh. we went our separate ways in terms of ge geography. Um, we still kept in touch, but I know that you did some productions out in the quote unquote real world. And what was that like? What did you, what did you do after college? What were your performances? So after college, uh, the first show I, I, I auditioned for was with Utre Theater Company. And I got it. it was a role in Next Fall where I was playing um, the role of Brandon, who was a gay man who was a Christian and tried to deny his sexuality and who he was because of his strong religious beliefs. A very light role. A very light role. Uh, <laughs> but it led it led him to be very critical of others and and even critical of himself. And so I didn't have a lot of lines in the show, but what I was doing was looking for that place of self. I don't want to say self-reckoning, but sense of understanding who you are. I, I, I was at a point where I was trying to figure out who I was because that post college depression is real that opportunity yes. once you leave school and you you're in the real world and you're trying to figure out who you are and 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 where do you go and what is life at this point because college is such a a microcosm and you're in this bubble for four years and then finally when you get out it's very jarring to be out in the world and not know what you're supposed to do because you've known for so long so I was in a place in the same similar place as the character, so it was a it was easy for me to get there. The audition process was interesting. You know, I had the sides. I came in to audition, and I was with I came in. I was there with different people, and they tried it with different people. And so I just had to trust in myself and just say, you know what? If they choose me, they choose me. It's not. It is what it is. You know, 
So I just gave it my best shot and they ended up laughing. When you are in in an audition, mm-hmm. how do you how do you get to a point where okay, because you may have seen these sides sides by by the way are, you know, basically the words that you need to say. You're given your cue right beforehand, and then you're given what you say. So if the person before you has three paragraphs to talk, you may only get the last sentence and then what you're supposed to say. So when you get those sides, right, how do you find a way to create a character on the fly? Because as you and I both know, at least in the theater world, we sometimes have weeks, maybe months to prepare these roles, and they take time. And on Tuesday, I may come in, read it one way. And on Thursday, I may read it a different way. But the way that will go in the show is the one I read on Saturday. So how do you find a way to create a character and show the people behind the casting desk, the director, the producer, the casting agents, hey, I, I can play this role. How do you give them a product at that point, right? What do you create to show them so quickly? So what I do is I ask as many questions as possible beforehand. I'd be like, you know, I'll read it and then I'll ask. I'll say, you know, what what are we talking about? Like when we think about this character, is 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 he this? Is he that? See what the director gives me. And whatever the director gives me, I take it as literally as possible. <laughs> uh Matthew McConaughey has a great, great quote where he says, in acting, he tries to imagine what if my character actually believed this completely whatever they're on believed it completely and i play that that's how i kind of start and i figure it out so that's i took that advice and so whatever they tell me i play that so he told me that my character was very subdued and calm and quiet but think suit and tie top floor kind of suits mentality and so i was like okay so he's not necessarily a bad person he's just hasn't got time for anybody else very much with the blinders on so i just played it very clean cut i someone gave me a response i listened sometimes i didn't even pay attention i was looking around and doing my own thing it wasn't until certain words came and i triggered and to pay attention to the individual so and those moments was when they were like oh this is funny because i'm i'm straight man i'm just not giving you the joke. I'm I'm playing it literally. So that's usually a great place to start when you're in a room like that is to ask as many questions as you can as they'll give you. But also they don't want to answer too much because then you'll just play what they tell you. So they tell you as brief as humanly possible. And all you really have to do is think about that and play that as literally as possible. That's what I that's what I did. I know some people came in with their own notions of what the character might be i think even the script kind of made it sound like the two individuals had a previous relationship with each other and they were like no that never happened and so you're like oh that's another clue in that these people don't know each other that this is a very awkward situation so a lot of it is reading behind the line reading between the lines sorry but a lot of it is is just taking the first words that they say and just running with it as much as possible because at the end of the day, they're trying to see if you are directable. If they can give you a stimulus and see what you do with it. 
So you have to think about that. I, another thing is go in there loose. Don't go in there with an idea because your idea probably sucks. And most of the time, <laughs> if you are, your idea probably sucks. And most of the time when, when, cause you don't know what the director's plan is either. So what you came in with may not be in line with the, where the director's going with the play. Yes, it's a great, it's a different side of it, but it's best to go in there completely blank. Yes, know what your lines are, but go in there completely blank and then let them inform how you're going to play it. Because then at the end of the day, you're doing them by showing them the best possible character. It's very different to coming in with a monologue. I, I would say I probably cheated because I purposely looked for roles where I didn't need to come in with a monologue. I looked for roles that already had sides that I knew what I was saying so I could come in and do that because I knew having monologue was my weakest part. My weakest asset was knowing a monologue and being there able there, being able to, you know, recite my monologue um, because I was never living truthfully because I didn't connect with any of these experiences. And two, I hadn't practiced these enough. These are usually off the cuff, maybe a week before the audition. I found it online or I read it in a play. And so I was like, let me try and figure out what's going on with this character. So it was never successful. So I knew my strength was the cold read. I knew I could nail the cold read. So I always looked for auditions where I already had the sides. But again, I think, I think if you are going in with a monologue, know your monologue back to front. Know it back to front. Know it with with punctuation and without punctuation. Just be able to say it. And then be authentic. Be yourself. Be the best possible version of it because that's what you're showing them. If you're doing a cold read, ask questions. Try and get as many questions as you can that they will give you. I would say directors are going to do a good job of giving you very small snippets to work with. That makes that makes perfect sense. I felt like I was I was back in Pinkney's class for a bit there. <laughs> <laughs> I was back with Dr. P. Zach, before we wrap up, I, I want to ask you this, and I want to ask everyone that comes on. What is the most impactful piece of art that you have ever consumed? I have it. Oh, as you talked about before, you can tell I'm I'm from Great Britain. And I had the opportunity to go to the Royal Shakespeare Company and watch Julius Caesar with an all-black cast. Wow. Mind-blowing. They took the show and they placed it in Africa. And this was just after Gaddafi was killed that time. I think that was maybe like, what, 2000 and... Late 2000s. Late 2010? No, 2011, 12, I think, somewhere yeah. in that range. And I rem- and you remember when, um, after the Iraq war, Saddam Hussein's statue was pulled down. Yes. So in the show, they had this massive statue to Julius Caesar. And at the end of the show, they pulled it down. And so I'm right at the cusp where I'm, I'm seeing news. I'm, I'm taking in what's happening in the world. I'm now negotiating with, I'm a black actor and I don't really go to shows where I see a lot of people who look like me. And only that is I'm studying Shakespeare currently. And I mean, we talk about Shakespeare quite a lot when you're doing drama in the UK, but I'm seeing professional actors on stage, a crew of people who all look like me, who sound like me, performing Shakespeare at one of the top institutions for theater in the world. And 
it just it was an incredible it was an incredible performance and especially one guy his name is ray ferron i think his name's ray felton or ferron i'll double check on that one ray felton's a basketball player (laughs) it was probably Ferron. um and he used to he used to be on a soap opera called eastenders um back in the uk and i never saw him on eastenders so i had no prior knowledge that he was doing soap operas but he did the friends romans countrymen speech forever changed my life forever changed my life and i was so close to the stage that i could see actors spitting i could see the spit coming off their lips and i was like here it is this is raw unadulterated passion feeling i mean the guy got to the point where he was crying even the the refrains with um but caesar is an honorable man and he was finding every way to shape that sentence each time he would say it. And I was like, oh, I, well, you have to be a technician. Like you have to know how to do that. It, it, it's one of those things of watching someone and being like, you're playing with the same phrase, which on in most cases is just annoying to hear. But, but, but Caesar was an honorable man and he found a way, but Caesar, and it was with an African accent too. So it was like, all the way out there. So it was like, but Caesar is an honorable man. And you're like, okay, but Caesar is an honorable man. And he was finding (laughs) every way to come with that sentence. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. You can do that. And having us all on the edge of our seats, like, what is he going to do? And it was, it was honestly one of the best things. And I still find the video of that speech because I, and I watch it as often as I can, because it's just, an amazing piece of theater and to be there live and watch it was just mind-blowing incredible it's incredible still gets me Oof, I, I got chills i got chills listening to that zach uh, you should you should watch it you should watch the video it's so good i will i will have to do my homework and, and go out and look for that uh man you're making me really miss being on a stage man I, I miss it so much i was telling my friends the other day um i was trying to organize a, a theater summer camp for the school i'm working for and even the discussions we were having about a curriculum. I was like, oh, I miss this so much. Oh, yes. <laughs> I just miss this collaboration, this this discussion with art. And uh, uh, yeah, I miss it a lot. Now. If I, I could give, I would give so much to just go back and have a week of all of us together just making a play, just just to do it. it doesn't have, no one has to be there, No, whatever, just go in there and be in the room again for a week and just create. Yeah. Cause that's what artists are at the heart of it. Right. You mentioned Creative that they thing. have a social responsibility to be able to tell the world stories, whether they be good or bad. We just want to go out there and be creative and tell stories. Zach, thank you so much for coming on for being the inaugural guest Hi. on the podcast. Where can the people find you? if they would like to see some of your work. Oh, to see some of my work. Unfortunately, uh, all of my social medias are shut down right now. But if you seek to hear my voice, I have a podcast where I discuss, as Sergio said, pop culture films like comic book films um, and just films in general. It's called TWSS. You can find it anywhere you stream podcasts. And uh, yeah, we have weekly discussions about it so it's a fun place and to find me a great twitter follow as well that, oh, that yeah, twitter I... account <laughs> great twitter follow uh, listen i can't let you go without asking you 
I haven't seen a single episode of WandaVision. Don't get mad at me. What's your sale? Give me an elevator pitch as to why I need to watch WandaVision. You know my, you know how I feel about superhero movie stuff and and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, I'm not against it. It's just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Give me an elevator pitch why I need to watch this show. It's an amazing character study. Ah, oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. One sentence, Zach. <laughs> it's a character study. It's it's one woman's journey with grief and coming to terms with her grief. That's what it is. Yeah, there are parts that aren't the strongest. There are parts that are a little bit cheesy. There are parts where if you're not a huge comic book fan, you it will just go right over your head, maybe. Elizabeth Olsen puts in a tremendous performance. Catherine Hahn steals the show. And there are moments with Paul Bettany where you're like, this dude needs to do more movies. Like, what is what is going on? <laughs> it's incredible cast. The the writing is incredible. Um, so I would just say go in there with the idea of just enjoying watching them do sitcoms because they each episode they kind of pay homage to different sitcoms throughout the decades. So there'll be elements where you'll pick up on the sitcoms like, oh, I know what sitcom that is. So that's what's fun about the show. But really, it's just a great character study about grief, about coming to terms with grief. Well done. I like that pitch. I'll throw it on the the watch list on Disney+. Plus. I appreciate it, Ren. Zach Gowdy, again, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon, man. Talk to you soon. Special thanks to Zach Gowdy for coming on and talking about his experience as an actor. To hear more from Zach, make sure you subscribe to his podcast, TWSS, wherever you get your podcasts. That's going to do it for this episode of Center Stage. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And keep an eye out for our next episode, where I'll be talking to playwright Tyler K. Williams all about his process, what inspires him, and how he got into playwriting in the first place. I'll leave you with the words of William Shakespeare. Know thyself, and to thine own self be true. We'll see you next time.